Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. We are looking at the church. And we have discovered that the church is indeed a body that God has called together. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 3 tells us that the church is the household of God. The church is the assembled ones of the living God. And the church is the pillar and buttress of truth. Last week we looked at the three ingredients, the three qualities that are evidenced in a healthy, productive church. And we looked into the epistles. And there we discovered that these three elements need to be seen in all churches for the honor and glory of God. Do you remember what the elements are? Oh, they're already there. Faith, hope, love. Say that with me this morning, will you please? Faith, hope, love. Now you're in Hebrews chapter 10, and I want, to see, I want you to see how the writer of Hebrews puts this together. Let me start with verse 22, Hebrews 10. 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Did you see it there? Faith, hope, love. It's an assurance of faith. It's a confession of hope. And it's designed for us to consider one another in love. These three determinations of a local church reflect its maturity and its growth process and its ministry, not only to the body of Christ, but to those outside the body of Christ. Faith, hope, love. Now, I think if we're going to look at these, we need some definitions, don't we? We're going to look at faith this morning. And if you look at Hebrews 11, verse 1, we have a, a definition of faith. The scripture says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is assurance. Faith is conviction. Faith is more than just hoping it's going to happen. Faith is understanding what God has done and what God is doing in and through us. Now, sometimes we make an acrostic out of faith, and we define it this way, forsaking all I trust him. And that, too, is a good definition of faith. And last week, I shared this definition with you, that faith is the confidence that a church that believers have has in Christ the head. It's a recognition that God will accomplish his work in and through us for his honor and for his glory. Faith. There used to be a song, Dave Spear will remember it, 
faith, mighty faith, the promise sees and looks to God above, laughs at impossibilities and cries, it shall be done. And cries, it shall, it shall be done. And cries, it shall be done. Laughs at impossibilities and cries, it shall be done. Confidence that a church has that believers have in Christ the head. Amen? And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, the New Testament gives to us five kinds, if you will, of faith. And we're going to look at those this morning. And I think it's important for us to understand what these kinds, these types are as we're, we're reading our Bibles so that we can recognize faith. The first one comes out of Jude. Jude chapter 1, verse 3. If you'll turn there, please. Jude. There's only one chapter in Jude. It's the next the last book in your New Testament. Page 1308, if you have a Bible like mine. Verse 3. Jude says this. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation... I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The faith that Jude is talking about is foundational to our Christian lives. In 1909, a group of prominent pastors got together and wrote a series of articles that they called The Fundamentalists. It was edited by R.A. Torrey and men like Harry A. Ironside and C.I. Schofield were contributors to The Fundamentalists. And they listed the five, what they believed were the five fundamentals of the faith. Here's what they listed. Number one, the Trinity. God is one what and three who's, with each who possessing all the attributes of deity and personality. They listed the Trinity. They listed the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man for all eternity. They listed the second coming as a basic fundamentalist doctrine that Jesus Christ is coming bodily to earth to rule and to judge. Salvation was listed. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that we are saved. And they listed the scripture that is entirely inerrant and sufficient for all Christian life. I took a shot at what my fundamentals are. And this is what I came up with. Number one, the Bible is the word of God. It's how we know truth. It's what the Holy Spirit applies to our hearts. It's what we are led in and guided in. And it's what's available so that we can live out life for the honor and glory of God. The Bible is the word of God. Now, if you mess that one up, you've messed everything else up. Number two, Jesus Christ 
is the Son of God, born of a virgin, made in the likeness of man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And if we do not recognize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God made in flesh, then we cannot understand God's plan of salvation as he came as a sacrifice to pay our penalty for sin. Number three, there is a real heaven and there is a real hell. It's important for us to understand that because if this were not true, it doesn't matter. There is a real heaven, amen? I'm thankful. For, I'm looking forward to going to heaven. How about you? I'm looking forward to, to sharing with all that God has prepared for us. And the scripture says that we can't even imagine all the things that God has prepared for us. In our finite minds, we cannot comprehend what heaven's going to be like. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. He said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. Revelation gives us a little bit of an idea about heaven with streets of transparent gold and, and pearly gates and, and no darkness there and no sorrow and no sake. I can't comprehend that. There is a real heaven to gain, but there's also a real hell to shun. And as much as we believe about heaven, we need to understand that those who reject Jesus Christ as personal Savior are bound for a Christless eternity in a place that God calls hell. Everlasting torment, punishment, that I cannot comprehend either. But folks, we need to understand that because we need to help people under, recognize that they can receive Christ as personal Savior and be bound not for hell, but for heaven. And that's the good news, right? That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would just say this morning, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as personal Savior and you're not sure you're on your way to heaven, talk to me following the service, will you please? None of us are guaranteed to live beyond this moment. Christ died for our sin according to the scripture. And 1 Corinthians says that he was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures. That's one of my fundamentals. That because there is a real heaven and there is a real hell, Christ died for my sin because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? And lastly, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Those are my fundamentals. Now, you may have others. But those are my basic truths that we can stand on, that I can stand on for life and, and living.
You know, the church hasn't always gotten it right. Martin Luther struggled in context that salvation was based on works. In fact, the church said that you could purchase your salvation through what they called indulgences. And even today, there are denominations that believe you can pray people out of place separated from God. Or other denominations believe you can be baptized for people and get them out of a place of separation from God. Martin Luther, on October 31st, 1517, nailed his 95 theses to the door of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And these were his fundamentals as it relates to salvation. Sola, alone. Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, the glory of God alone. Amen? And you and I need to recognize that there is the faith that was once delivered unto the saints and it's not changed by culture. It's not changed by community because it is the word of God. A couple of weeks ago I had a conversation with a gentleman whose lifestyle is certainly different than mine. And, and we got on the Bible. It's amazing how you can talk to people about the Bible. And he made this statement. The Bible says what the Bible says. Wasn't a real profound statement. But it told me that this gentleman knew what the Bible said. His problem was he didn't believe that the Bible saying it made it any more important than any other book saying it. And just because the Bible said it, it didn't necessarily have to affect his lifestyle. But you and I understand that the Bible is the word of God. And we as a church are the spirit the pillar and buttress of truth. And it all comes back to the truth book, does it not? The faith is foundational and does not change. Not only does the Bible talk about the faith, foundational faith, it also talks about accepting faith, saving faith, faith for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast and it seems almost counterintuitive that we can simply believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved but the reason that is true is because salvation is not dependent upon what you and I do. It's all dependent upon what Jesus Christ has done. And as we accept 
the sacrifice that God gave to us through his son Jesus Christ, we can be born again into the family of God. And aren't you thankful that once you've been born, you can't be unborn? Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Romans tells us that righteousness is by faith, and that we are justified by faith. That's all accepting, receiving, saving faith. That is available to all mankind. The New Testament also talks about investing faith. The gift of faith. You know, there are certain people in the New Testament that were described as men of faith. Stephen was a man of faith. Timothy was a man of faith. And they lived this out in their lives. As you think about the gifts of the Spirit, and I I trust that you will take the time to come to our Adult Bible Fellowship, because one of the subjects that is being taught this year is on spiritual gifts. And if you're in an Adult Bible Fellowship class, you'll eventually get it. But the investing gift of faith is a spiritual gift of the Spirit of God. Now, I want to define spiritual gifts for you very quickly this morning. What is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is a gift of grace granted by the Holy Spirit, which is designed for the edification, the building up of the body of Christ, the assembly of believers. That's a spiritual gift. Each one of us has been given a spiritual gift. We have spiritual gifts in order to help other people. Help them do what? Keep the faith, grow in the faith, and maintain an even keel even in the midst of life storms. Now, one of those spiritual gifts is a gift of faith. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 17, he said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed and cast in the sea, and it'll be, it'll be done. Have you cast any mountains into seas recently? It's a gift of faith. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus said this. If you have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you can say to the sycamore tree, be plucked up and removed and it will be done. You got any tree plucking faith? You know, there are some folks that just believe God will do it. And that's enough for them. And one of the New Testament descriptions of faith is this gift of it. Not all of us have this. But I like to be around people that just kind of believe God, don't you? Abraham was one of those people. In fact, the scripture says he believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now think about Abraham a minute, will you? He was living in a pagan culture, Ur of the Chaldees. And God appeared to him one day and said, Abraham, I want you to go into a place in which I'll show you, and I will make of you a great mighty people. 
There wasn't any GPS. There weren't any road maps. He couldn't go down to AAA and get a trip tick. I know that's old school. But God said, Abraham, just, just follow me. Abraham had the gift of faith. I'd have had to have a conversation with my wife. Connie and I in our marital life have struggled with faith sometimes. When we were serving in Indianapolis, God was working in our hearts. I was an associate pastor there. And God was leading me into lead pastor ministry. And we had candidated at a place well, that was while we were in Sandusky, wasn't it? We candidated in Rochester at that point, wasn't it? And I didn't know. I didn't know what God wanted us to do. We were in Indianapolis. We were at the national meeting of the General Association of Regular Baptist Churches. And I was trying to figure this out. God, what do you want us to do? Connie said to me, now, this is beyond her character. You don't understand this. She said to me, Tom, I'm going home. You stay here and you figure out what God wants us to do and you just let me know. Because I know what God wants us to do. Connie had the gift of faith. She knew God was going to pull us out of that comfort zone in Sandusky and send us to Rochester. Which would have been a completely different kind of ministry for us. The gift of faith. Investing faith. In people's lives. There's also the testimony of faith. A living faith. Now, the scripture uses this type of faith to, do, to describe corporate bodies as well as individuals. We're going to look at the body of believers at Thessalonica a little bit later this year. And we are going to see that Paul identified faith in their lives as impacting their culture and their community. But not only is it for corporate individuals, it's also for individuals. Now, a couple of things about living testimony faith. It needs to be observable. People need to see it in our lives. We are called to be salt and light in this world. On Wednesday nights, we are studying the topic, Know Why You Believe. And we have taken 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, which I can quote in the King James. I'm still learning it in the ESV. It's kind of our underlying verse that says this. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. As people see our lives, they'll want to ask some questions. That's observable faith. But not only is it observable, it's also growing. We are not only to grow in grace, but we are also to grow in our faith. This morning in the Berean Sunday School class, Sandy Finney said to, said to me, said to us as we were studying, studying spiritual gifts that as we grow and mature, 
God sharpens our spiritual gifts. And that's true. And God sharpens our testimonies as we grow and mature. It's also a fighting faith. Remember the armor that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6? Remember when he talks about the shield of faith? It's able to quench all the darts of the evil one. It's a fighting faith. That, that's real life kind of faith. That's the testimony that we have. It's what God wants to accomplish in our lives. And lastly, it's a hopeful faith. But not just hope so. Hopeful with great confidence. Faith is very closely aligned with the concept of hope. And aren't you thankful that Jesus is coming again? I am so thankful for Connie Carey who helps me in the ministry here at Calvary. Friday morning, Connie texted me and told me that Sharon Gilmore was in hospital, Bronson Hospital in Kalamazoo, just had a severe stroke, family was called in, not sure what to do. So I went up there, talked with Ron, met other family members who were there, and the doctor was there and they were trying to determine what next steps might be for Sharon. They knew without any surgery she would not survive. They didn't know if she would survive with surgery. Family decided to do surgery. A nurse came in and prepared Sharon for surgery. Ron and I stepped into the hall. And Ron said, Pastor, I am so glad that if Sharon doesn't make it, she's going to end up in heaven. Glory! That's the confidence that we have. That's the hope that we have. That's the assurance that is ours. That when we absence our bodies, we are present with the Lord. Because of the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. So question, what is it that brings us together as an assembly of believers, as the church of the living God? May I suggest to you this morning that it's our assurance of faith It's our confidence in what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. And the knowledge that God can be trusted to perfect himself in and through our lives. I trust that you will come tonight for our annual business meeting. I also, we'll be sharing this, the state of the church tonight. 
One of the things I'll be sharing is something that you all know. We were ascending church in 2018. We sent 14 of our folks to glory. Yeah, that's an amen. But I miss them. I miss them. There are empty pews today because those folks went to glory. I wouldn't wish them back. But it's our assurance of faith that gives us the confidence that one day when we either absence our bodies or the Lord himself ascends with a voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and we're caught up to, to meet the Lord in the air, so shall it, that we will be together as a family, a family.